morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning here in church or are with us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we may also be strengthened by the celebration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consists of the following announcements. For history, the deacons will meet tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. And this morning, the worship service will be at 7.40. And before we commence the service, let us sing together hymn 79, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing together a song of praise this morning from Psalm 33, verse 1.
The Lord has given us his law to convict us of our sins, and it's good to be convicted of sin. It's when we recognize our sin that we realize how much we need a Savior, and we can also be grateful for what God has done for us through his Son, Jesus Christ. So I'd like to read with you, we're going to read the, the laws that comes to us this morning in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourners who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now sing together from Psalm 25. We're going to make confession of our sins. One of the things that also comes out in Psalm 25 is that the Lord is a a faithful God. He's loving in all his ways. And as an act of faithfulness, he's willing to forgive those who humble themselves before him. Psalm 25, verses 3 and 5.
Let's pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God. You're God who's made promises to his people, and you're God who fulfills those promises. Lord, we, when we read through the Bible, then we see how often you do that. You're God who, who loves to, to make commitments. And you do that because you are the Lord, because you have the power to make those commitments, and you have the power to fulfill them. And you're God who loves to fulfill those commitments. You show yourself to be dependable to be steadfast, to be faithful in his dealings with us. Lord, your faithfulness is our only hope because the truth is we're not always faithful. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we fulfill the commitments that we make. Sometimes we love you and we love each other as we should. There are times where we do what you call us to do in your commandments. Yet there's other times, Lord, where, where we break your commandments. We don't honor you. We don't put you in the center of our lives. We also sin against the people around us. And we're not faithful in our dealings with them either. We want to confess that to you this morning, Lord. We remember the great promise that you've made to us, that if we confess our sins, then you are faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we plead with you this morning, Lord, that you would do that. We're sorry for our idolatry. We're sorry for the way that we rebel against our parents. We're sorry for the, the way sometimes we get frustrated and angry with one another. We're sorry for the lust and the sexual immorality in our lives. We're sorry, Father, for the way that we, we don't always speak the truth. We don't always uphold the truth. We're sorry for the greed that we have in our hearts. Sometimes we're covetous. Sometimes we, we set our hearts on, on the things around us or on other things. We're sorry, Lord, for especially the way that we, we disregard you in all these things. We put ourselves in the center of our lives, and we, we don't put you in the center of life. Father, please forgive us. Show us mercy for Jesus' sake. Please help us to, to humble ourselves and, and grant, Lord, that you would then show us mercy and restore us in relationship with you. Thank you that you are the God who's willing to do that. And thank you that what stands behind your willingness to continue with us is your faithfulness. You are true to your character. You're a beautiful God, and we love you, and we thank you for this. I want to pray now that you would encourage us in this. Grant that we, as we open your word, as we consider your faithfulness, that we stand in awe of you. And we also pray, Lord, that as we celebrate the sacrament, that we may be reminded of, of the forgiveness that you've extended to us in Christ, and that we may, again, honor you for your faithfulness to your covenant promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I may preach on the the next um, thing in the list in the uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And one of the chapters in the Bible that shows us the faithfulness of God in a really profound way is the, the, uh, the chapter Exodus chapter 3. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. We're going to read Exodus 3. Exodus 3, in the uh, guest Bible, you can find it on page 54. So the background to, these, to this um, passage is that the Lord had made promises to his people that he would bring them into the promised land. He told Abram in Genesis chapter 12 that the day was coming when he was going to give Canaan to the people of Israel. Now, in Exodus 3, he reminds his people of that. 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a bush, sorry, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that he may bring my people that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand, and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go away, go out empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So, you shall plunder the Egyptians.
so far. Let's sing once again, brothers and sisters. In Psalm 105, it's a, another celebration of the faithfulness of the Lord and his dealings with his people. Psalm 105, the verses 3 and 4. So as text, the text for this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, we're going to look just at verse 22 there, just the one part of verse 22. We're familiar with the context, so I won't read it in context. But in Galatians 5.22, there God's word says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're going to look especially this morning at God's faithfulness. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. So what does it mean to be faithful? Well, to be faithful means to be dependable, to be trustworthy. A faithful friend is a friend who sticks with you through the glory days but also through the muck of life. A faithful employee is someone who gets his work done. He doesn't fabricate sick days, but he shows up time after time after time. And you send him to a job, and he gets her done. You know that when you send him, that it's done well. He's faithful. We have a faithful husband. He's consistently true to his marriage vows. He doesn't flirt with other women. 
doesn't give any airtime in his thinking to maybe being with someone else. No, he's true to his wife, and he builds a life together with her. And it would never enter his mind to do anything different. When you think about those situations, what stands out here is not just that you're dependable and trustworthy, but being faithful means that you're dependable over the long term. That day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, you're true to your word and you keep your promises. A faithful friend is, he's true to you long term, no matter what happens. You go through really hard times, he doesn't bail on you, but you know deep down that he's someone you can always go to because he's always going to be there for you. You get a real sense of what it means to be faithful when you look at the Lord. One of the foundational things he tells us about himself is that he is a faithful God. He makes promises to us, and he fulfills those promises. We sang together a moment ago from Psalm 25. It says in verse 10 there, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. What's really striking there is that faithfulness is paired up with steadfast love. And if you read through the Bible, if you read about the faithfulness of the Lord, that's a pairing that you find over and over and over again. I'll use one other example, Psalm 33, verse 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is upright, all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And actually, it's really interesting When it's God and his dealings with us, it often talks about faithfulness and steadfast love together. When it's us in our relationship with God, then again it often speaks about faithfulness and steadfast love. And when it's us in relationship with each other, then it's often faithfulness and righteousness, or faithfulness and uprightness. You're living a righteous life, you're living an upright life, you're doing what's what's right, when you're true to relationship, if you're faithful in relationship, that's a, that's a right thing in the eyes of the Lord. That's one of the things that pleases him. And if you want to understand what it means for God to be faithful, then a good place to start would be with the promises that he made to Abraham. He told Abraham at one stage, he says, Abraham, I'd like you to come outside, I'd like you to look up to the stars of the sky. So Abraham goes outside, he goes out his tent, he looks up, And God says, he says, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. You know, be quite something you're 20 years old if God said that to you. Be quite something else if you're in Fairhaven and God says that to you. He was 75 years old when God made the promise. And yet Abram believed God. God is faithful. He can do what he says he's going to do. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abram, he did what was right in believing God. And the Lord fulfilled that promise. Another promise, God promised Abram the land. He said to Abram, he says, I want you to go to Canaan. I want you to pass through the land. And Abram goes through the land. Huge country. He's one man. And God says, this whole land I'm going to give to you. Well, the only part of it that Abram ever owned was that field near the cave of Machpelah. He had to bury his wife. And so he bought the field and... He had that little plot of land, this little field where he, where he buried his, his wife there. But again, he believed the promise. God said he's going to do this, and Abram said, yes, Lord, I trust you that you're going to do this. And then we just read together Exodus 3. It was 430 years later, 
God comes to the Israelites and he says, first he comes to Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to go into Egypt, I want you to take the people out of Egypt. And Moses like, Lord, not the right guy for the job, not me. The Lord says, Moses. And then Moses says, well, what am I supposed to say? They're going to ask, well, who is the Lord? And God says, you tell, you tell them. You know, you say, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I promised them that I would give them the land. And I'm a God who's faithful to my promises. I do what I say I'm going to do. And so they can know, they need to know me to be the faithful God. And they can know that I will do it because I am a faithful God. And so the Lord does it for his people. He rescues them out of Egypt. He brings them back. He brings them back to Horeb, to the mountain that Moses was on. He's saying, Moses, I am faithful. I fulfilled my promise. I brought them back. You're worshiping me on the mountain. I am the faithful God. Now, the great promise the Lord made was to David. To Samuel 7, David, I'm going to make you king of Israel. And I promise that you, your descendants are going to reign on the throne forever. And David believed the promise. He said, yes, Lord. And he still believed the promise in the next seven years when Saul was chasing around the country and trying to kill him. He believed that God is true. He's in the back of a cave. Psalm 57, he's hiding out in this cave. He's in a lot of distress. And he says... He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples me. God will send his steadfast love and faithfulness. God will do what he will do because he loves me and because he's faithful to his steadfast promises. Well, you hear about that, brothers and sisters. It's pretty amazing to think about that, to know that about the Lord. But what about those situations where the, when you are in a relationship with another person and that person does some pretty nasty things, maybe even some pretty shocking things, your children rebel against you. They don't want to listen to you. They give you a big mouth. They're out drinking and partying and carrying on. They're constantly rebelling and undermining your authority. And so what do you do? Are you faithful? Do you carry on with them? Or do you tell them to leave? Do you say, listen, you're done. It's over. You can go now. One of your employees, he gets his work done. But at core, he's really selfish. He's really proud. And it leads to a huge amount of conflict. And so over time, it really gets under your skin. And so what do you do? Do you fire him? Or you have a really good friendship with your sister-in-law. And something goes down in your family. And she ends up on the other side. And there's all this conflict. And when you get together, it seems that there's this wall between you. And so what do you do? Do you break off your friendship with her? Do you stop having anything to do with her? I guess the core question is, what does faithfulness look like in the face of sin? Well, if you think about God's dealings with us, and the one thing that stands out is that God is the parent in the relationship. He doesn't just kick us out. 
But at the same time, he doesn't put up with sin either. He calls it out. He's very gracious in his dealings with his people. And so what the Lord does when his people sin against him is that he sends his prophets. And he says, this is not okay. You can't keep doing this. This is not all right. And he sends his prophets because he loves them. And because he is faithful and because he wants to continue in relationship with them. And when they don't listen to his prophets, then he gives them an education in the hard school of life. A life of hard knocks. And so their enemies come against them. And they realize that idolatry is useless. And they understand that looking to other nations for help is a waste of time. And in the end, they're deeply humbled and they turn back to the Lord and they say, Lord, we made a big mistake. And you are God and you are our only hope and we put our trust in you. And so he educates them and they come back to him. And what does he do then? Well, he is the gracious father who with open arms welcomes back his prodigal son. It's the story of the book of Hosea. Pretty shocking thing if it happened today. God tells Hosea, Hosea, I want you to get married to, to Gomer. She's a prostitute. And by the way, after you get married to her, she's going to be unfaithful to you. She's going to go off and she's going to sleep around with some other men. But I want you to go back. I want you to go into town. I want you to buy her and I want you to bring her home. And then you tell her, no more. You're not allowed to do this anymore. Just imagine if your minister did that, had to do something like that. Imagine the scandal that would happen around that. Well, why does God do that? He does it because he tells Hosea, he says, this is what I have to do. My people are a bunch of adulterers. They go after all the gods of the nations around them. And what do I do with them? Am I going to turn my back on them? Am I going to write them off? And what does he say? He says, I'm going to continue with them. I will continue with them. So Hosea 11, all my compassion is aroused. How can I treat you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? These are the nations that were right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire came down from heaven, destroyed those, those cities. And God's saying, I can't do that to my people. I made a promise to you. You are my people and I'm your God. And so I'm going to continue with you because I'm the faithful God. And you think about that and you think, well, how is it possible? How can he do it? And the only way is through his son. All God's faithfulness is communicated to us through his son, Jesus Christ. He continues because he's true to his word. And so the way he deals with it is he says, I'm willing to make my son suffer the punishment and the judgment that you deserve. And I'm willing to continue with you as my people because he bore your curse. And so at core, the faithfulness of the Lord and his dealings with us is based on the incredible gift of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, is that God's people knew that. They knew it. They sat in the middle of the devastation when God, if you go back a few years, you go back to the covenant curse, God warned his people, he says, if you don't listen, he says, I'm going to judge you and I'm going to punish you and, you know, your, your herds and your, your flocks, they're going to miscarry and 
the land is going to be like, like iron beneath you. There's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be any food. There's going to be drought. There's going to be pestilence. Your enemies are going to come against you. I'm going to make you suffer, and I'm going to discipline you, and I'm going to make it difficult for you. And at the end, if you still don't listen, I'm going to send you into exile. I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. I'm going to wipe out the temple. I'm going to deport the people into exile. And the people are in that place. God brings down the covenant curse. And they're sitting in all their sadness, in all their brokenness. And yet, they still have hope because of the faithfulness and the steadfast love of the Lord. It's in Lamentations 3, verse 23. The prophet's sitting in the middle of the horror and devastation. He's filled with bitterness. His soul is bereft of peace. He has forgotten what happiness looks like. And then he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Our favorite hymn, one of the favorites, it's born out of, out of this time when the devastation of the covenant curse was all over them. And they set their hope on the Lord that he would be faithful and that he would continue with them because that's his character and that's his nature. Well, the same is true for you and me, brothers and sisters. Sometimes there's so much sin. We too are, are guilty of idolatry, the love of money and the love of self and the love of pleasure and the love of comfort. So much covetousness, so much selfishness and pride and anger so much greed and lust. We also deserve this curse of sin. Yet the Lord says, he says, I've, I've sent my son. And if you believe in him, if you trust in him, then he'll take the curse on you. I won't pour out my wrath against you, but I will forgive you for all your sins, and I will carry on with you. And that's the, the core theme of the New Testament. It focuses our attention on Jesus Christ, and it shows that, that God's faithfulness has Christ at its core, at its center. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul celebrates God's grace towards them in Christ. He is sure that Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is he sure? Because he says in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's because God is faithful that Christ will sustain you to the end and he'll present you guiltless on the day of Jesus Christ. Or Paul comes back to the same thought in the context of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. After warning against grumbling and putting Christ to the test, then Paul says, No temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man, God is faithful, and so he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful, and so in your moment of need, he will help you. If you believe in Christ, brothers and sisters, if you trust him, if you look to him as your Lord, 
then for his sake, God will continue with you. And sometimes there's a huge mess. Sometimes we, we do all sorts of things wrong. Other people, they, they're done with us and they walk away on us. Yet the Lord promises to continue for the sake of his son. You must humble yourself. You must be honest with him. That's the criteria. You must confess your sins. And if you do humble yourself, if you are honest, then he promises that he will continue. And he wants you to reflect on that. It's really important that you think that through, that you take that to heart, and that you live out of that. Because if you, if you reflect on God's faithfulness, if you think about the promises he's extended, and if you think about the way he fulfills those promises, then you'll, you'll stand in awe of him, and you'll worship him. And the great thing about worship is that whatever you worship is who you become. If you worship the Lord, the God of faithfulness, then you become faithful like him. Then the spirit of Jesus Christ enters you. When the spirit of Christ is in you, then he makes you like he is. And then you become faithful like him. And if you do that, brothers and sisters, there's so much blessing. There's so much joy. There's such an incredible gift that God gives. If you're faithful to your marriage vows, we have it sometimes 25 years, 40 years, 50 years, 55 years. If you're faithful to those vows over that many years, the Lord uses that as an incredible blessing for you, for your spouse, for your children, for your community, for the rest of this world. We see God's work in your life. It's amazing to witness his work in you. You're faithful to your job. There's an incredible blessing. Proverbs 22 and 29, do you see the man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. If you do your work steadfastly and faithfully, you become skillful in it. If you do that, then, then the Lord says he honors that, and beautiful things come out of that. If you're faithful in friendship, then it leads to long-term blessing. Then you count on each other, and you carry each other for the distance. You think of Jonathan and David. They could have fought for the throne. They could have hated each other. But they made a covenant, and they are faithful to it. And so Jonathan, he protected David's life from his father Saul. And years and years, decades later, David, he looked after Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, for the sake of the covenant that he had made with his friend. Well, there's deep trust, there's deep love, there's deep care. If you are faithful to God, then that leads to eternal blessings. Do you have faithful people in your life, brothers and sisters? Are there a few people around you who who are steadfast, who are dependable, who are trustworthy? Are you also that kind of person? The kind of person who goes the distance with others? It's hard work. You get in conflict and you have to work your way through it. You have to call it out and you have to deal with it. But if you're faithful, then you can do that. And with God's help and with God's grace, then you can continue. And in the end then grace shines through where there is this faithfulness, there's often steadfast love, and then you know the Lord, and then you walk in his ways. Well, let's come to the table. Let's celebrate the faithfulness of God to us that he's extended to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let's sing, brothers and sisters. We're first going to sing together from Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is a celebration of the faithfulness of the Lord to David. King David, God made promises to him. Then much later, his descendants, they rebelled against him. And yet the one thing that gives them hope is the faithfulness of God in the midst of that. Psalm 89, the verses 1, 13, 16, and 17.
Back in the days of the Israelites, the ceremony that the Lord gave to his people was the Passover, so that they would never, remember, they would never forget his faithfulness to them and to his covenant promises. In our day, we have something far greater. We get to celebrate the, the death and the crucifixion, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's do that this morning. Christ gave us the Lord's Supper to remind us of his love and faithfulness to us. Before we do so, we're first going to read together the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. If you want to read along, you can find that on page 603. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper has been instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of this institution as described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, the verses 23 to 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats or drinks the bread, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. In order that we may now celebrate this holy supper of the Lord to our comfort, we must first rightly examine ourselves. Further, we must use it as Christ intended it, namely to his remembrance. True self-examination consists of the following three parts. First, let everyone consider his sins and accursedness so that he, detesting himself, may humble himself before God. For the wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished, but has punished it in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. Second, let everyone search his heart whether he also believes the true promise of God, the sure promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is freely given him as his own, as if he himself had fulfilled all righteousness. Third, let everyone examine his conscience, whether it is his sincere desire to show true thankfulness to God with his entire life and laying aside all enmity, hatred, and envy to live with his neighbor in true love and unity. God will certainly receive in grace all who are thus minded and count them worthy to partake of the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and of the Apostle Paul, we admonish all those who know themselves to be guilty of the following offensive sins to abstain from the table of the Lord. And we declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ. All who refuse to trust in the Lord alone or who serve him in their own manner. All who abuse the name of the Lord by cursing or in any other way. All who do not diligently attend the worship services and who despise the proclamation of God's word or the sanctity of the sacraments all who are disobedient to their parents or to others in authority over them, all who violate human life or cherish hatred against their neighbor and refuse to be reconciled to him, all who either within or outside of holy wedlock do not keep their bodies pure, 
all who by stealing, greed, or extravagance lead a worldly life, all liars, backbiters, and slanderers, briefly all who either in word or conduct show themselves to be unbelieving by leading an offensive life. While they persist in their sins, they shall not take of this food which Christ has ordained only for his believers. Otherwise, their condemnation and their judgment would be the heavier. But all this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts, as if only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. For we do not come to this supper to declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves, in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. We also are aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We do not have perfect faith, and we do not serve God with such zeal as he requires. Daily, we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and with the evil desires of our flesh. Yet by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings and desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. Therefore, we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God in grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. Let's now consider for what purpose the Lord has instituted his supper, namely that we should use it in remembrance of him. We should remember him in the following manner. First of all, let's fully trust that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by the Father into this world, according to the promises made from the beginning to the fathers in the Old Testament, and that he assumed our flesh and blood. From the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life on earth, he bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally. By his perfect obedience, he has for us fulfilled all the righteousness of God's law. We remember in particular that the weight of the wrath of God caused by our sins pressed out of him sweat like drops of blood falling on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he was bound that he might free us from our sins. He suffered countless insults that we might never be put to shame. Though innocent, he was condemned to death that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. He even let his blessed body be nailed to the cross that he might cancel the bond which stood against us because of our sins. By all this, he has taken our curse upon himself that he might fill us with his blessing. On the cross, he humbled himself in body and soul to the very deepest shame and anguish of hell. Then he called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we might be accepted by God and nevermore be forsaken by him. Finally, by his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal testament, the covenant of grace, when he said, It is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, during his last Passover, instituted the Holy Supper. He gave the bread and the cup to his disciples in remembrance of him. He taught us to understand that as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded and assured of his hearty love and faithfulness towards us. It is a sure pledge that he has given his body and shed his blood for us. Otherwise, we would have suffered eternal death. 
He nourishes and refreshes our hungry and thirsty souls with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life, as certainly as this bread is broken before our eyes and this cup is given to us and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. From this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn that he directs our faith and trust to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross. It is the only ground of our salvation. Thereby he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin, and has obtained for us the life-giving spirit. By this spirit, who dwells in Christ as the head and in us as his members, we have true communion with him and share in all his riches, life eternal, righteousness, and glory. By the same spirit, we are also united in true brotherly love as members of one body. For the Apostle Paul says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As one bread is baked out of many grains, and one wine is pressed out of many grapes, so we all, incorporated in Christ by faith, are together one body. For the sake of Christ, who so exceedingly loved us first, we shall now love one another, and shall show this to one another, not just in in words, but also in deeds. Finally, Christ has commanded us to celebrate this Holy Supper until he comes. Receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant abundant joy which he has promised. And we look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb, when he will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. Let us rejoice and give him the glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. May the almighty, heavenly God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen. To receive all this, let's now humble ourselves before God and call upon him in true faith. Merciful God and Father, we thank you that in this supper we cherish the blessed memory of the bitter death of your dear son, Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that we may entrust ourselves more and more to your son, Jesus Christ. Grant that our contrite hearts may be nourished with his true body and blood, is with him who is the only heavenly bread, that we may not live in our sins, but Christ in us and we in him. Let us so truly be partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace, that we do not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, nevermore imputing to us our sins, but providing us with all things for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. Grant us your grace, Father, that we may take up our cross joyfully, deny ourselves, and confess our Savior. Let us in all tribulation await our Lord Jesus Christ, who will come from heaven to change our mortal body to be like his glorious body, and to take us to himself forever. Hear us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in preparation for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, let's now sing together, make a confession of our faith, and we'll do that with the words of the Apostles' Creed, a set to music in hymn one. Please rise.
brothers and sisters, in order that we may now be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread, we must not cling with our hearts to the outward symbols of bread and wine. We should lift our hearts on high in heaven where Christ our advocate is at the right hand of his heavenly father. Let's not doubt that we'll be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive the bread and drink in remembrance of him. In preparation for the, for the table, we're going to sing together from hymn 59, verses 1 and 2. And after that, all those who are communicant members in our congregation are invited to come forward. As consistory, we also invite the following visitors who have provided an attestation of their faith to consistory. We'd like to welcome Sister Jeanette Jansen from the American Reformed Church of Linden. Also, brother and sister Peter and Irene Nagy from the Free Reformed Church of Melville. And then also, brother Stephen Powells from the Free Reformed Church of Pretoria in South Africa. And if you're not a member, or if you're not one of the announced visitors, then we ask you that you not come forward to join with us in eating and drinking at the table. We don't say that because we wish to sit in judgment of your faith um, or in your relationship with Christ. The truth is we just can't ascertain that. Rather, it's because God teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11 that the Lord's Supper is a communal celebration, that it must be kept holy and promote the unity of faith within the congregation. And so for that reason, we try to super, supervise the celebration of the Lord's table very closely. It's an effort to ensure that guests are true believers, that they're faithful in their adherence to Reformed faith, and that they lead a godly life. And so even though you might not be one of the members of our congregation, or if you're not one of the guests who brought an attestation, we're grateful that you can be here. It's our prayer that also through this celebration that you're encouraged in your faith and that it leads to closer fellowship together with Christ. So let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We'll sing together from hymn 59, verse 1.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it all of you. Remember and believe that the precious body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some bread and eat. The cup of blessing for which you give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you, remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourself. And then the middle ring, it has some grape juice instead of wine. I'd like to read with you is taken from Lamentations chapter 3. So it's Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to read together part of that, that section. So Lamentation is five chapters. Chapter 1 and 2 talks about the utter devastation that's come upon the land. Chapter 3 leads up to that, and then the core of the book are these verses, and then from here, it continues to talk about the devastation that's, that, that has happened. But right in the middle of that, the, it's, it's most likely Jeremiah, he's the author here, he tells us about the one thing that gives him hope. Lamentations 3, I'm going to start reading with you at verse 21. There he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So far. Let's sing together. We're going to sing of the the great faithfulness of the Lord, hymn 66, verse 1.
Brothers and sisters, once again, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take and eat some bread. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourself. Read with you. I'd like to read with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, sorry, chapter 1, the verses 4 through 9. One Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. In my Bible in the guest Bible, it's page 1131. The Apostle Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's now sing together the second verse of hymn 66. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take and eat. The cup of blessing for which you give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take, take and drink. The next passage I'd like to read with you is taken from Hebrews chapter 3. You find that on page 1188. Hebrews 3, we have the beautiful comparison. Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus Christ is faithful as a son. And so the faithfulness of Moses is, is but a picture of the greater faithfulness of our Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3, the verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted more worthy of glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoke, to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our, bo and our boasting in our hope. So far, let's now sing together verse 3 of hymn 66.
like we fit. This is the last table for this morning. Brothers and sisters, once again, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take and eat. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourself. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, since the Lord has now nourished our souls at this table, let us together praise his holy name. Let everyone say in his heart, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Therefore, my heart and my mouth shall proclaim the praise of the Lord from now on and forevermore. Amen. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 36, verse 2.
Let's call upon Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Merciful God and Father, thank you that in your boundless mercy you've given us your only begotten Son as our mediator. We praise you that he is the sacrifice for our sins and our food and drink to life eternal. Thank you, Lord, that you give us true faith through which we may share in such great benefits. Through your Son, you've instituted the Holy Supper for the strengthening of our faith. We earnestly ask you, faithful God and Father, that by your Holy Spirit, this celebration may lead to a daily increase in true faith and fellowship with your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that we also understand and appreciate your faithfulness towards us. Help us to realize, God, that you are true to your promises, that you always do what you say you would do, that when we sin, that we'll bear the consequence of that. And when we repent, then you're willing to forgive us once again. Lord, please do forgive us. Please assure us. And please help us to build our life on the faithfulness that you show to your promises. We ask, Lord, that you would care for us in the rest of this day, that we may encourage each other, and that we may go on from here, and we may live faithful lives, that we fulfill the vows that we have made, that we love you, and that we love one another, and that we live out of your faithfulness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to serve God with your thank offerings. The collection this morning is for the work that we support in Papua New Guinea, the mission work there. After the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 61, 1 and 2.
Receive now the blessing of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.